I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Keith Seifert. He's author of the book, The Hidden Kingdom of Fungi, Exploring the Microscopic World in Our Forests, Homes, and Bodies. A pleasure to host you today, sir. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Alex. Thanks for the invitation. What was the impetus that drove you to author this this book and and body of research that uh, is included in this book? Well, there's a few things. I spent my career studying fungi, and so many people couldn't believe that I was being paid to do that. (laughs) They had no idea. So I'd explain to them about invasive species or trade embargoes or antibiotics or mycotoxins or symbiosis, and you could see a flickering of understanding and a realization that these things are important. And there's so much interest nowadays in biodiversity in the political and, and uh, scientific front, but microbes seem to get left out of the conversation most of the time. And even people who are interested in fungi focus on mushrooms, the larger ones, and or else the, they they focus on the, the more negative aspects of fungi and, and uh, this book is about microscopic fungi and uh, about their effects on on human life, both the positive and the negative ones. Most fungi are microscopic and they have large impacts on our forests, agriculture, food, our bodies sometimes, and in our homes. So I thought it would be useful to fill in these gaps in our understanding of nature and humans' part in it. What are the different categories of the microscopic fungi? Well, in terms of classification, that's probably the most boring topic you can imagine. But people tend to think about um, yeasts, may not realize that they're fungi, but yeasts are fungi. There are molds that um, people are mostly familiar with growing on their food, or maybe they see them growing around in their house. And then there's the a lot of fungi that are totally hidden that are inside uh, plants or uh, rotting wood or down in the soil and we're not very aware of them but their impacts can be quite dramatic well i asked you the most uninteresting part of the classification or categorization so tell me in writing this book what was the most interesting part that you feel like you're revealing to both the scientific cohort of your peers and the lay person Um, that you can reveal to our listeners and viewers today? I think when I started it off, as I said, I wanted to kind of focus as much as I could on the positive part, not totally overlooking the negative part, but trying to find a balance. And the way I found to do that, that seemed interesting to me, and I learned a lot in doing it, was by looking at symbiosis, which is the the way that different organisms live together and try to portray the breadth of the f- symbiosis that occurs with the fungal kingdom. And it turns out that fungi are really very talented symbionts. And that goes all the way from being parasites to being what are called uh, mutual symbionts. So it's sort of a best friends kind of uh, relationship between a fungus or anything and anything else. So the 
lichens are a well-known example. And in prior to writing this book, the, the fungi involved with tree roots started to get a lot of attention in the scientific press as well. And that's another kind of mutualistic symbiosis. And what about their relevance to modern society? The foreword of your book is written by another open mind guest, Rob Dunn, um, who wrote a similar book about the microscopic elements in our everyday homes that uh, might thrill us or scare us to death. Um, but what are the linkages to um, the the both the the negative and and constructive impact that fungi um, are capable of having in our day-to-day -day lives? I think most people are aware of the story of penicillin and that it came from a mold. So that's just one of the antibiotics that uh, really changed human lifespans, really added 15 years to human lifespan since the Second World War. And there's other not really antibiotics, but they're chemicals that come from fungi. I have one in my blood right now, which is called a statin. Statins are fungal or were fungal metabolites. They're, I think they're now mostly made chemically. But And then another drug called cyclosporin A that comes from one of the zombie fungi, actually, and that's what enables tissue transplants. It stops rejection of foreign organs when they're transplanted into bodies. There's also our food, and, and we know that most people are aware that they get molds on their food, but there's a lot of molds that are part of food fermentation and yeasts are part of it as well. So all alcoholic beverages are, are fungal. Um, sev several cheeses uh, have fungi as kind of the flavor component. Uh, there's a lot of oriental fermented foods like tempeh and soy sauce, and it just goes on and on um, and more and more. Um, as as our culture sort starts to embrace the the traditional foods from other cultures, we are running into fungal foods that we haven't really encountered before. And is this a focus of your fellow scientists um, in in the profession? Do you feel um, like this is a more marginal component of the scientific process today, or do you think that? The folks who are working on new medicines um, or who are investigating, you know, environmental disasters um, or engaged in the scientific process today, uh, do you think that the, the kingdom that you say is, is hidden is something that is being unearthed and investigated and studied, um, or must there be a movement to bring this to the fore in, in, in a way that it's being neglected in, in terms of its relevance related to other scientific um, areas of study? I would say it's a work in progress. And, and the world is always changing anyway. We don't expect things to be stable and stuck in, in one spot. So I spent most of my career working with people who were not mycologists. I work with chemists. I work with plant breeders. Um, people who, who worked on you know food nutrition that that kind of thing so so I spent my whole career and I didn't really have to market the fungi to these people they knew that that fungi were part or the fungal metabolites were part of what they were trying to 
the problems that they were trying to solve or the opportunities they were trying to develop. And so I didn't need to do that. But at the same time, I think that the whole concept of microbiomes, which uh, Rob Dunn talks about in his book and Ed Young talks about in uh, I Am Multitudes a lot, this whole concept has really changed how we look at biology and the whole idea of what an individual organism is. And I think in uh, in particular in agriculture, uh, we have not really paid attention to all of these other beneficial organisms that are associated with the crops. We've been more focused on the, the detrimental ones, and we have an automatic reaction that when we see a fungus involved with the crop, that it must be harming it in some way. And that's not really necessarily true. You have been involved in something called fungal DNA barcoding. Um, what is that? That's a way of um, identifying a fungus or any organism by using a DNA sequence. So when when I went to school, when we wanted to identify a fungus, we had to make a microscopic slide. We went through what was called a dichotomous key, which is kind of a, you make a decision and then you go into the next paragraph and make another decision and, and you work through according to what you've seen with the microscope or with, with your eyes. And that's how, um, that's the kind of expertise that I have actually, but it's a, it's a relatively rare expertise and it, and it's, uh, it's complicated. You, you have to, to carry a lot of knowledge with you to, in order to go through that process. So using a DNA seq, which is much simpler, there's thousands of times more technical people who can sequence a DNA strand. And then there's a universal database. Um, GenBank in the United States is part of that, the National Institute of Health, National in uh, Institutes of Health database. And, and, um, so anybody, in a sense, can identify anything using a DNA sequence. That's oversimplifying it, but it definitely has liberated um, a lot of people who want to work with fungi and other microorganisms to know what they're working with. They don't really need to have a, a taxonomic expertise, like expert like myself, to do that anymore. This is from your book. Um... I am an unashamed fungal partisan. We are living in an era of declining biological diversity at the same time as we are becoming aware of an unexpectedly vast interconnectivity among all life. Uh, in this book, fungi are both the heroes and the villains. Humans are just the supporting cast. And, and it's pointed out that there are anticipated to be, to be between one and a half and 15 million fungal species. Um, and my question to you is, is it fair to say, Keith, that we have not done sufficient digging, I said before, unearthing, um, to know yet if one of these could be capable of, of, of a new revolutionary medicine? Um, there is always this obsession with uh, space travel and particles from the moon or other planets that might be integral to solving a, a you know, a public health uh, or genetic problem. But to my knowledge, based on what you're saying, there are many 
uh, fungi that have not yet been named or identified or whose impacts are still unknown. That's true. And um, I think the DNA technology has allowed us to, to detect these fungi in the environment. So we know that they're there because we can see their DNA, but we don't know what they look like. Uh, we don't know necessarily what what their capacities are encompassed in their genomes. Um, the, the pharmaceutical industry, especially in the United States, up until about the year 2000, really did have a very active bioprospecting uh, program going, looking for new medicines. And, and then it was kind of downsized when... Uh, the early kinds of artificial intelligence and, and advances in synthetic chemistry allowed them to devise imaginary chemical mm. compounds and then make them to, that they figured would have a certain activity. Now genomics is pulling us back in the other direction where we're, we're starting to, to realize that there's all these genes out there that in fungi and other microbes that we don't actually know what they're doing. And, and so, but we can infer what they're doing based on their structure sometimes. Um, so it's, it's the, the other thing that's changing though, and is that the idea of the magic bullet, everybody still has that fantasy, but everyone I think is starting to realize that it is a fantasy. Now, you know, the magic bullets, we probably found them. And so now it's going to be harder. It's good. It's going to be a lot of effort for smaller rewards. And and uh, one of the things that's interesting in the towards the end of the book, I talk about what I call micro entrepreneurs. And these these are smaller companies, small um, businesses that take on a, a small problem and try to solve it either with fungi or with something else. And everyone's a f familiar probably with the rise of microbreweries. That's kind of an example of that. And these companies though, they don't need to make $10 billion to make it all worthwhile. You know, they can fiddle, fiddle around and, and spend a few hundred thousand dollars and, and maybe come up with something. So it has kind of mobilized this creativity of, uh, of science and taking it away from the large corporations, in my view. That's really fascinating, Keith, to hear that recent history of AI supplanting fungi in the um, in the search for new fungi that have not been uh, revealed um, to um, you know to the to the public uh, or to the scientific community that then could assess their viability, but I, I I wonder if our obsession and, and frankly my obsession too with the, the magic or, or golden bullet, silver bullet idea derived from penicillin, derived from the fact that that we really, if correct me if you think this is misplaced, but there was a drug that that you know for a good chunk of recent history has been um a, a savior for so many of these um you know, strep throat and a whole class of, of illnesses um, that I guess that our orientation had been derived from that successful experiment. Yeah, that story is always told in a certain way, too, that it was an accidental discovery and that, and that there was this flash of genius in Alexander's Flem Alexander Fleming that allowed him to see this. But actually, I think it was Pasteur's what 
was one of the people who said that uh, chance favors the prepared mind. And and there's no question that that Fleming's history, um, his life le led him to that moment. And and so it wasn't really an accident. But but having said that, it it's certainly true that because that story is often told, I've told it many times myself in in seminars that it does create that kind of arc archetype that people expect that kind of thing to happen. The reality of my career, and I think of most scientists, is that, that the time of the isolated genius is more or less past. It's really now um, collaborative, multidisciplinary teams. That's not to say that these, these kind of brilliant one-off ideas aren't useful we really need lots of ideas, right? The ideas are kind of like genes, you know, the good ones survive and the bad ones fade away. So the more ideas we have, the better. And if some of them are magic bullets, I don't think anyone will be uh, turning them down. Were you suggesting that there was a reverting back to the investigative mind uh, and exploration of fungi? Because you, as I said, I found it interesting that you mentioned the advent of AI and artificial medicines uh, chemically made um, as opposed to bodies of, of life um, from plants or, or fungi. But you, you seem to be suggesting that there's a maybe a new revisiting of the, the fungi um, approach. We used to 20 years ago, we didn't talk about artificial intelligence. We talked about expert systems. So people were using mostly databases, but but also coding that would connect different databases into a way that, that would simulate um, the behavior and the knowledge of, of an expert. So th these advances that I talked about with chem advances, if you want to call them that, um, with chemically designed drugs that came out of that kind of um, milieu. They, the people felt that they had, they had a handle on how enzymes and how chemicals interacted with each other through their active sites and they modeled that and then and so they built these systems to do that and that's quite different i think than the artificial intelligence that we think of nowadays in the public discussion with all of the concern about about chat and all gpt and and the others where they are mimicking um trying to mimic the, the the thought process that's that's a bit different than than uh, applying a a knowledge base to a problem i think that's fair and and also i think what your book compellingly does and it's really a tour de force inside the body and you speak to the public or the reader as a fungi at certain points and it's very compelling uh i suggest everybody uh take take a look and and it, try at least one chapter of of the hidden kingdom of fungi um the the reality you pointed out from the outset keith is that people's association with this field is mushrooms it's it's mushrooms that are foraged it's mushrooms that people get a high on it's mushrooms that are served in your salad um you wanted to <laughs> complex 
make more nuanced and complex the narrative around this. But for those who associate fungi singularly with mushrooms or the habitat of mushrooms, and what, what do you want to share with those people about either the relevance of mushrooms themselves or the more multi-dimensional existence of fungi? I think mushrooms are a great gateway into into becoming aware of the fungal kingdom. And a lot of the the uh, events that I've been to as a result of the book have been with mushroom people. And when you go to a mushroom club, um, there are always there's always people who are interested in the tiny things. And and some of them are interested in the really tiny things, and they're really happy to see somebody like me, who's kind of way off into the microscopic spectrum from their point of view. But that that's one thing I would definitely say to your viewers. You know, if you think that you have an interest in the fungi, um, by all means, go out and find your local mycological club because and there's a there's a list of them on the website of the. NAMA, North American Mycological Association. There's a great one in New York. There's a fantastic one in in uh, San Francisco. They're, they're all over the United States, a little less common in Canada, but we still have some good ones there. And that that way you'll find people who share that interest, but you'll find people have enormous amount of in, interest and knowledge in this subject. And from there, you can go the directions you want to go. And if it takes you in the smaller realm, that's good for me. What have we learned about the geographic proximity uh, to this kingdom um, on our respective continents? Uh, you're zooming in from Canada, and uh, we're both in North America, and I'm in the U.S., but um, what, can, what did you discover in the process of writing about this subject, about the the origin of the kingdom um, across the, the vast landscape of, of planet Earth? Well, I have a hobby interest in, in geology and, and plate tectonics and stuff. And, and so there, there's definitely a lot of ancient history in the fungal kingdom. But but what, what it means to us now, every, there's a lot of concern about invasive species in general. I mean, we've all just lived through an invasive species event. We may not think of it that way, but that's what it was. And, and that was just a dramatic example of something that happens all the time and has always happened. And you're referring a, to the pandemic? I'm referring to the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. But the, the um, there's a word, pangeification, which is kind of, that's a, a, a very uh, cute, kind of word but the idea is that by by traveling so much and by trading commodities between continents so much that essentially the earth is becoming one great landmass again as far as the microbes are concerned and i don't think we can really stop that we might be able to slow it down. And I think that's really what everybody hopes that's involved in regulation is just to, to slow it down as much as we can. In Canada and the United States, now we have two uh, major fungal invasive diseases going on. One is the bat white nose syndrome and the other is the amphibian apocalypse as uh, Elizabeth Colbert uh, has called it. And, and uh, which is, led to the extinction of well what what I think it's about a hundred species of frogs, toads, and salamanders around the world, but there's a lot of concern about these. And these is 
The frog one is bad because of our own activities. That seems pretty clear. The bat one is a little more obscure, why, how it got here from Europe. But So when you think of the promise and the peril of the fungal kingdom in beyond 2023, uh, what what is the biggest threat um, of fungal disease? Um, not that it would be a pandemic, but there are those who prophesize that it would be a pandemic. Uh, and what is the greatest hope? Uh, in um, curing disease or being a natural resource of some kind? Well, there are still fungal, human fungal diseases of, of uh, patients with AIDS. There's a big concern there. Um, there's also a lot of uh, fungal diseases that are associated with hospitals. So they are hospital acquired diseases. And, and so those those are problems that need to be dealt with because they kind of, but I don't really think of them as being anything like a pandemic or epidemic. These are things that are there and, and we need to cope with them. I think the biggest question mark with fungi right now relates to climate change because, because fungi are so intimately associated with plants that if we want to sequester carbon in plants, we really need to understand the fungal uh, component of that system. So they they both help plants uh, capture carbon just by being part of the whole system of a plant. And, but then when the plant dies, they release carbon. And so there's this balance between growth and decay and fungi are involved with both of them. And there are some researchers and research networks that are looking into that and trying to, to flesh out the, the balance sheet there. But I do think that's that's a big question uh, globally. Keith, thank you for your insight and your time today. And for all those interested in the, the hidden kingdom of, of uh, fungi, uh, do check out um, the book, um, Exploring the Microscopic World in Our Forests, Homes, and Bodies. Appreciate your perspective and scholarship. Keith, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Alex. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. Continuing production of The Open Mind has been made possible by grants from Ann Olnick, Joan Gans Cooney, Lawrence B. Benenson, the Engelson Family Foundation, Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Joanne and Kenneth Wellner Foundation, and from the corporate community, Mutual of America.